Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for another episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we always are sponsored by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, serving the cure for what ails you since 2014. Marcus, this yeah. isn't a podcast that we expected to do. But the reality is, is we're going to be doing more and more podcasts like this, I think, <sighs> as they happen. I think you're right. And I don't like it, but it's what we kind of touched on in Paradise Lost, our episode about uh, that string of tragic losses of rock stars and music people in the years uh, 2015 and 2016. Um, I was just kind of like doing my thing last Friday, like most people, and I started seeing things on social media about the death of Neil Peart from Rush. And I, I, my, I stopped. My jaw dropped. And... All I could tell you is I couldn't believe it. Then I looked, because these days you look at everything, you look at the source, right? And I look and it says rollingstone.com and I just stopped everything I was doing. I was doing some kind of work here at the uh, uh, Soul Kitchen Studios and I just kind of stopped and put everything aside and started digging in to find out what I could, read the article and started finding out things. What we didn't know is that he was sick, right? Well, we knew he had health issues from his final tour, but my presumption of those health issues were things like arthritis. They were. And things like his body breaking down from playing so hard for so many years. And that is the reason that he stopped. What we didn't know was just, what, a year and a half, two years after he stopped touring, that he had a diagnosis of glioblastoma, which it's a tough battle to win. Very, very few people. Three-year fight that really nobody knew about, except for I did find one little article this week. Uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, who's on doing other things now, one yeah. of the great drummers of his generation, 
said that he knew for about two years and kept it to himself because that's what you do when you're friends with the greatest progressive drummer maybe of all time. You don't spill beans. You don't tell other friends. You don't share those things. And uh, it's a testimony to Mike to the level that Neil would trust him with that kind of news. And Because nobody ever said a word in the press. There wasn't even a sniff that he wasn't doing well. Did you hear anything? I heard absolutely nothing. I've also been reading that he may have been sick with glioblastoma during the end of his final tour. They said the fight was three years, and the last tour ended before that. So it might actually have been happening. I think we all thought, and I think we were all right, and I think at the time it was what was going on, his his health issues, you mentioned the arthritis uh, knees, back, and mm-hmm. shoulders tend to go on drummers. You know, sometimes the hips give them trouble. Look at Phil Collins yep. on stage these days. And, you know, so you understood that. And then for him to have, I mean, he had a great adventure on this little blue marble that we live on, Neil Peart did. But to lose him for his family after everything that he's been through in his life, to lose him after only a short time of just being pastoral sedentary well in his own way i'm sure he was traveling and doing things but we didn't know i wondered about it a few times but we didn't know where was neil Peart today and we didn't know that he was fighting cancer it's just no clue it is a punch in the gut to anyone who didn't know i think Well, the fact that he passed away on Tuesday and it wasn't even announced till Friday explains the amount of privacy in the rush camp and how good they are at keeping things to themselves. That was the other element to it. And all I was trying to figure out was who was out of the country or who was unavailable. You know, I know they needed time to all get together as a music and business family, as well as, you know, Neil's real family, his, his actual family. And to make it right for a man of his stature. And um, even here, we're sitting here uh, days and days later, and I'm having a hard time talking about it because he was a seminal part of what I think changed in rock and roll. Rush, what they did in rock and roll was because of him. Um, I never fully understood that John Rutsey left because of his own health issues that wouldn't allow him to be on the road with the band. So when they went and found the new drummer in 1974, it was what we said in the Chris Schwartz interviews, serendipity, um, that they came across Neil Peart, who didn't give, by his own account, a great audition. Thought, well, you know, one of those, I'll never get the job from that audition. But... He did. And Alex wasn't all for it at first, but when they brought him in, they realized what they had as uh, a teammate. And then he started to show what he could do as a writer.
And I know that's an amazing thing to you and I both, because we know how hard it is to write anything, let alone the lyrics that he conceived of, the places he thought of, and, and in turn, the musical places he took us, because it was all tied together through his mind and through his body, which he put through hell on the road. Oh, absolutely. And think about, I mean, the magical, mystical trips he took us on with their songs. Seriously, those songs take you on journeys and adventures that your mind can't even imagine as a young kid. And then, boom, it's open to this stuff. And you're like, what? It kind of sucks that this is the first episode we're doing about Rush on the podcast because mm-hmm. it's they're such a great band and one that I've stayed with through all their changes through the years even through the end saying okay I accept it you've done your part thanks Neil thanks guys thanks Ged thanks Alex you gotta go back to the 70s so there I am at Beck Hall third floor and one afternoon I'm hanging out and I hear this loud music coming from across the hall and I walk across the doors half open I kind of push it open I go hey What's this? And my man George says, This is Rush 2112, the new album. That was my introduction to Rush. Now, I might have heard uh, one song before that, but I didn't really get it. And that was when I really started getting it and staying a fan through all the years. And I got to thank George Sigley, man. He was righteous dude, still is. And he, uh, he uh, was part of what I saw in the Lehigh Valley later where bands like Rush and Budgie and some other bands that weren't penetrating as big in Philadelphia, uh, at least initially, were getting a chance to grow and develop uh, right there in uh, Allentown and Easton area. Do you remember whether it was side one or side two of 2112 off the top of your head, or was that way too many brain cells ago? I think it was A, too many brain cells ago, (laughs) and B, I'm pretty sure it was one of the overtures of the the exit exit music. I'm pretty sure it was 2112, the song. But the uh, Temples of Searings, I get to play that on my syndicated show all the time. It's so cool. Because, you know, you start off in it, you know that every Rush fan is walking over to the radio and turning up the volume as soon as you start the overture, you know. And uh, it was probably right in there. Yeah, I got to play 2112 in its entirety at 11 o'clock the Sunday night after he had passed away. And that was really a nice way to cap off the weekend that turned into a Rush weekend due to the sadness. I'm glad that MMR let you do that. Um, We celebrated the music uh, and the life with two of the biggest Rush fans on the station. Um, uh, Preston idolized Neil. And uh, Pierre had interviewed some of the guys. uh, Many times. Yeah, and kind of bonded uh, radio in Philadelphia more to to the band. And the the love affair went on for a lot of years for me. I, I, I went and saw them every time I could. Uh, once I get into the 80s, I'd say. And once I was at MMR and I could get press box tickets for the Spectrum, I was there every time. Oh, of um, I lost I lost touch for a little while. Um, I got to see the uh, the 2112 tour in South Philadelphia with my buddy Ike Richmond one night, and my pal Terry White another night. And uh, that gave me the greater appreciation for everything that I already love because I got to see that, which was basically the tour that was coming through when I first heard the album in college and stuff like that. So these things all come full circle with me and Rush. And I remember uh, the Roll of Bones tour. It was the first time they used like big screens and animation and video. And it just blew my mind because it actually put some images that they had to the music. And, and like everybody else, um, 
the 40 tour was uh, got a, a, had a go and uh, to be there and to uh, then then to see the documentary about it was pretty cool. Uh, and all through that, this guy kept coming up with great ideas, not just songs. He came up with great ideas that he wanted to put out there, you know. Uh, and in and in the 80s, Neil put out some of the most amazing pointed lyrics. You know, uh, "New World Man" is one that oh, jumps God. to mind because he's. Hey, I'm not just going to sit here in my nice, comfortable life. I'm thinking of of the new world. I'm thinking of the third world. And he always injected ideas, and he made it a thinking man's band. I don't know what path Rush takes if Neil Elwood Peart doesn't join in 1974 and start writing his ass off. I don't think anybody knows if that band would have gone to the le- gotten to the level they got to. But you mentioned... Uh, New World Man, Moving Pictures, Moving Pictures and the impact of that album, Limelight and the importance of that album or that song personally to Neil himself and songs like Tom Sawyer, which I really, you know, draw to because of my age when that came out. I was an early teen. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons a lot. I know (laughs) I get joked about, but... Russian Dungeons and Dragons went together very well for some no of my shit, friends. Man. That was and made for that. Totally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so yeah, those see, songs and like, then like Red Barchetta really and YYZ just really that whole side, there. they take you out there and you just get, we would get so lost in the games and the music and they would end up, you would feel like they were intertwined, which hey, is Neil, crazy. And we were clean and sober in those days. Well, yeah, you didn't have to be high to enjoy Rush. In fact, I I realized early on, after seeing them live a few times, there was no way that you could be high or like out of it and go on stage and do what he did every night at a Rush concert. The man didn't like to fly, and so he drove, and a lot of times on motorcycle. The whole R40 tour he did on motorcycle. And there's a, a legendary story in there about um, driving with his uh, compadres through the rain, like 200 miles to get to the next gig, arriving completely late and completely like the boots were soaked through, that kind of stuff. Uh, he would play through the most unusual maladies. From that whole incident, he talked about developing some kind of a fungus on his feet, and he played through that and the pain that it would take to play through that physically like surface pain. Unbelievable. And I think that and I think I read this from all the things I've read and seen and through the years. He was so driven to deliver that every night for the fans, what he had, his very best, that he never considered what the consequences were to his ankles and his shoulders and all that. He had to do the absolute best show every night. And that's part of what made them the most excellent band in their own way. That's kind of an irony of his being an introvert, too, if you think about it. Sure. I mean... Showing off every night. Showing off every night on stage (laughs) and totally getting lost in this whole different persona. And then as soon as he's off stage, no people, no nothing. I'm just disappearing. He could do that. Of course he did. And during some of those disappearing times, aside from the uh, the years after the tragic passing of his daughter, then his wife, when we all thought Rush was coming to an end, it had come to an end. It was an extended break, but it was because he couldn't, he couldn't, didn't want to. And who could blame him? He goes out and he starts having these great adventures. Um, 
finding his way forward because to have those kind of dual losses in a short period of time is pretty damn nasty, you know? Absolutely. And I can understand doing all the introspection, looking at your life, you know, reevaluating your entire life. And it makes sense that he found something like a motorcycle to really help him as far as his own personal therapy goes. I think it took it to another level. And Absolutely. He decided to start writing about it, and he started writing a series of books. Uh, the Masked Rider, Cycling in West Africa, and he put that out in 96. Ghost Rider, Travels on the Healing Road, uh, 2002. Traveling Music, Playing Back the Soundtrack to My Life and Times. Uh, Roadshow, Landscape with Drums, a concert tour by motorcycle, which was what he ended up doing on the R40. So... And then he did the far and uh, the far and series. It's far and away, far and near, far and wide. How is you have? Re- didn't you say you have a friend who's read four? He's of read four books? of four of Neil Peart's books, and he said they're absolutely they're fantastic. He's a he's a beautiful writer, not only in song form, but he's able to put these complete thoughts and stories together in book form. And my buddy Steve Jenkins loves his stories says they're fantastic is it the nonfiction? yeah or no the fiction work yeah he's read he's read fiction and nonfiction. so he said they're both good and i know like his motorcycle stuff is supposed to be really wonderful um i read a great interview during the pat right after the passing of neil that came up from page elliott of classic rock magazine and he asked neil when you're touring on a motorcycle you must see a lot more of the world And this is Neil to a T. I avoid motorways whenever possible. The roads I want are the ones that people don't travel unless they live on them. In America, I usually go by myself. But in Europe, I have a riding partner who spends months on the road with me. And it's a hugely planned effort to see everything we can. Wow. I know when I'm thirsty, I head to the heart of Hatboro and go see my friends at Crooked Eye Brewery. I want to thank Paul, Paul, and the whole gang for their support for our podcast. It's been great. Now, when you want to taste the freshest, most creative brews in the Bucksmont, you go to Crooked Eye at York Road in Montgomery right there in the heart of Hatboro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014, the Crooked Eye crew makes every single night fun. Hey, and you can keep up with the live entertainment on the brewery's Facebook page. That's the best way to know what's happening there, including their free Tuesday night's Blues Jam, which is taken off. The Home Brewers Club and my partner in crime, Ray's Vinyl Nights, which are the third Wednesday of the month That's every month. That's the brewers meet. And live music all the time, including the Crooked Eye Band. There's always good fun to be had. And a new friend to be made at Crooked Eye. And we want to thank them, as always, for their support of what we do on this crazy, imbalanced podcast. When you need a fresh, tasty brew, head to Hatboro and make it Crooked Eye. In America, I usually go by myself, but in Europe, I have a riding partner who spends months on the road with me, and it's a hugely planned effort to see everything we can. Wow. I think that expresses it best, encapsulates it all. It really does. It gives you a feel for who Neil was as a person, and I can't believe we're talking about him in the past sense. It's so <sighs> That's surreal. the hardest part. Now, when he was a young drummer, 
Um, the guys, I guess he emulated. I know he was a huge Buddy Rich fan, and he had some intersection with Buddy uh, at one point in his life. But he always cited Keith Moon and John Bonham as specific influences. And if you think about it, Neil's fluidity coming from Mooney, his power coming from Bonzo. Oh, yeah. He is, in a way, the perfect blend of the two, if you're looking at rock and roll children, right? Totally. And then he also cites Ginger Baker as an influence. Oh, of course. And that's where the jazz interest came from, because Ginger was really kind of a jazzy guy. But but he doesn't have the petulance of Ginger Baker. No. Not so. the same spirit, that's for sure. Definitely a different now, spirit. Now, he learned a lot about jazz from a guy named Freddie Gruber. Freddie was a bebop guy from New York in the 40s. Through the years, he played with everyone from Rudy Valley. Remember Rudy Valley? Yeah. Hey, we're singing through the megaphone these days, too. Anyway, uh, and he started playing with Charlie Parker, and he had a few really prominent students, and I thought it would be interesting uh, to talk about uh, Freddie Gruber. Uh, he was a, a jazz drummer and teacher, so Gruber's other prominent students included uh, Steve Smith, who's in Journey, and a guy named Vincent Peter Coliuto. Now, I don't know him that much, but he's in the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame and played with Joni Mitchell, Tom Scott, and Sting. Played on over 20 Zappa albums, it looks like. You know, that's crazy, man. This guy, mm-hmm. and he learned a lot from the same teacher that Neil Peart learned from. By the way, he also played, listen to some of the people that he played with, just just for shits and giggles. And we're talking about Coliuta. Yeah, yeah, we are. He played with Gino Vanelli and Carl uh, Do you Wilson. remember Gino Vanelli's oh, Cheese sure. Rock in the oh, 70s? Sure. That's the stuff that made me want to get into radio. And he played with Barbara Streisand and your girl, oh Olivia Newton-John. Have but you Barbara, never yeah. been mellow? But he played with oh, Barbara. God, that had to have been the most <laughs> high-maintenance session. Al Stewart, Robin Ford, Leonard oh Cohen, Peebo Bryson, Tori Amos. He was on Why Can't Tori Read? David Sanborn. Yeah, I'm talking about like Alan Holdsworth and Julian Lennon and Wang Chung. Tori Amos. Yeah, Rodney Kroll. What? I mean, all kinds of, Ray Charles, Wayne all kinds Chung. of different people. Simple Minds <laughs> Records, he was on there, played with B.B. King and Diane Shore. Oh I mean, goodness. you're talking about a wide variety. Burt Backrack for God's John sake. Fogarty. Yeah, he was on the John Fogarty record. Oh, Stanley yeah. Clark, Andy Summers, he played with all kinds of people. Andy Summers does a lot of jazz music. But now, this guy also came from Freddie Gruber, who uh, taught Neil a lot about what he knew. And I just wanted to get into that a little bit, because I thought it was really cool once I started digging in there. Uh, found out all this other information, but keeps coming around. We can't deny it. We can't avoid it. Uh, keeps coming around to the fact that we miss him, and we'll miss him more as time goes on. Absolutely. Because time don't stand still, bro. I don't care how much we think we can make it do that. Uh, time just keeps ticking into the future, as Stevie Guitar once said. And um, to have lost him on January 7th, the start of a new year, kind of really took the edge off a lot of the frivolity that people had coming back to the new year. Uh, finding out about it on the anniversary of David Bowie's passing added a little extra uh, black tone to the day. And I think it had a, a serious impact on everything that was going on. Uh, people changed their their programming. People cha- added you know, different music and did a lot of different things to make sure that we all paid tribute to a man who really was the the backbone in more ways than two uh, of Rush. A loss that I mean, a loss that was heard around the music world like 
no other. It was big like Bowie. It was big like Prince. It was big like Lemmy. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this passing leaves a humongous hole in the rock world. And we'll feel it. You know, we'll mm-hmm. feel it. But I also feel like this could be an ominous precursor to a rough year for us. And that's the thing that scares me. We'll keep an eye on that. I just had a thought while you were talking. Um, one of the things that I always have been feeling since they retired was that they might be able to get together and do a concert, like do a couple nights at the stadium there in Toronto. And, you know, just, just for one time for the fans, you know, at 45 or 50 or whatever, even just to do it one time because they felt like it and Neil felt like he was up to it. For all the time that I've been thinking that in the last few years, to not know that the man was so sick and fighting so hard for his life. It's one of those things that just kind of, it's been kind of gnawing at me a little bit because, you know, you, you thought about maybe that kind of a thing could happen and it's the way that the Rush fan has always been, always eternally optimistic about the band and their fortunes and their future. And I think now that's the hard part, that there is no future. We've got Ged, we've got Alex, we've got the music, and we've got the memories. That's the most important thing to me as a Rush fan. Never lose those memories of seeing those boys. Unbelievable. How many times have you seen Rush? Can't count. Over 10? About that. I've seen them. So I'm a piker, man. There's people who've seen them 70, 70, 80 times. Yeah, like the Grateful Dead or like Dave Matthews, some of those bands that they follow around. There's a ton of people who've seen them well into the dozens. Yeah. So, and they're one of those bands that's worth seeing night in and Every night out. Every time. Never saw a bad show. Never. I don't think they ever had a bad show. Probably Unless the not. power went out. And you know why? This guy. Right here. <laughs> it's all three of them. Neil their team. Elwood Perry. No, they are an amazing. He, he's they're the like glue. a fist. You're right, though. He is the double backbone behind that team, without a doubt. But you're right. They're such a tight team, and I think he was the glue that really held them all together. I was like you, and I thought that we might get, like, three concerts over six days where they do a show, take a night off, do a show, take a night off, and do it three times. Yeah, Yeah. and do it three times at, like, one of the big stadiums in front of half a million people each night, which I could see them doing kind of like Rammstein over in Europe. Well, good, mein Herr. I mean, think about it. It's seven hours from Philly. It's five hours from New York City. It would be so easy to get up there. And you know how many people from the Northeast Corridor, Boston, Vermont, this is what I Philly, was thinking. Baltimore, it to the next level of what I was would also all have thinking. been there. Yeah, I know. So that's the finality of yeah. it um, because some people can carry on beyond the death of a member. Mm-hmm. They're not one of them. No. They're not one of them, and they they wouldn't. They didn't want to go out with another drummer just so they could work and tour. Yeah. They're not going to do it now. You know what we should do at one of our next Maybe pod- in tribute. Maybe in tribute. You know what we should do at one of our next podcasts? Tell our five me, favorites. When we do a live on location one like at Crooked Eye, five yeah. favorite Rush songs. And have people step up and share those. Have them get Rushified. Get Rushified, indeed. Now... Do you think Neil Peart has any unpublished books finished or completed? I have no idea, but I bet you if there are any, that we'll hear them or see them or hear about them in the next year or so. I'm going to guess 
his autobiography and an, and a fiction piece. That's my guess. Is one of each. All right. I guess we'll see as we move forward. And it won't be soon though, because you know it's going to take some time for the family to get over things and the people who worked with him uh, in in the publishing aspect. They're going to wait because they're going to want an appropriate amount of time to pass before they put it out. But it's coming. Well, thanks for uh, making it a special session, pal. Um, we we talked about this, and initially, you know, I told you I didn't want to do it. And it's, a couple days later, I thought, okay, let's do this and uh, give the man his props and send some love to everybody involved. And uh, take a deep breath and exhale and move on, because that's what we do. I want to thank everybody at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro for their support of the podcast. Uh, every third Wednesday now is Vinyl Night with Moi. I get Dang. to go in there and play all vinyls. We played a lot of Rush Vinyl the night uh, after Neil was, uh, passed away. So um, let's just wrap it up here and get ready to do another great episode the next time we convene here at the Soul Kitchen Studios, produced by Dark Doc Media on the Pantheon Podcast Network. That's going to do it. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. We'll catch you next time right here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. Fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.